Welcome to Season 3 of Between Two Blue Devils, a podcast about the amazing educators, students, alumni, and citizens of beautiful Talmadge, Ohio. This season is going to be the best season yet as we sit down with people who have incredible stories to share and who are having an impact on our kids, in our community, and in our world. Now be sure to subscribe on whichever podcasting platform you listen to your podcasts on. If you like what you hear, please leave a review and give the podcast a rating. This is how we get the message out about our amazing schools and community. Now, crank up the volume, grab some coffee, kick up your feet, and get ready to be wowed as season three begins. Welcome back to another episode of Between Two Blue Devils. And today I am very excited to have a former student uh, as our guest today. Now, every once in a while I get a chance to sit down with former students and catch up. Uh, And this is one of those special episodes. Uh, You and I, Dustin, we hadn't chatted for a long time until about a year ago when I ran into you at the Talmadge Rec. And it was the first time that I had seen you live and in person I had seen some stuff that you had posted on social media, which really just caught my attention because you and I, we have something in common that we're very passionate about, the sport of basketball. And when I saw the pictures and what you're doing in that sport, and then I had an opportunity to talk to you, it just got me really excited. And that was the first time I thought, man, I got to get this dude on the podcast and share his story. And real quickly, before we get into your story, here's the reason it excites me so much. Because when you shared it with me, it showed me and it kind of gave me an example to share with my students of how you can take something no matter what it is that you're passionate about you can pursue it with everything within you and you can live a life where that's what you do you you have fun you wake up every day excited about pursuing and working within your passion and i think so often our kids don't hear stories like that they think okay well i got to go to college, get a degree, and then go to a job that I don't like, and then I gotta sweat it out for 40 years and then retire, and then that's when fun begins. And your story is opposite that. Your yeah. story is all about the fun that you're having in your career. So let me let me introduce our, our, our guest here for a moment. He is a 2007 Talmadge graduate, a former Talmadge High School Blue Devil basketball player. He is a former college basketball player, he currently resides, and when my son hear that, hears this, he's going to go crazy, in L.A., yeah. living the life, right? He is the president of WCL Sports Management. He is the co-founder of the Caucasus Basketball League and, and just so much more. Yeah. I mean, you've taken the sport of basketball and you've maximized your experience. And so I know my listeners can't wait and I can't wait to dig into who you are. So you ready to get started, my friend? For sure. All right. I know I've given your name already, but this is quarter number one. We're going to four quarters in honor of our favorite sport, basketball. Quarter number one, please tell me who you are and tell me a little bit about who you are in regards to Talmadge, Ohio. Yeah, for sure. Um, Dustin Simcox, uh, born and raised Talmadge, Ohio. Um, All the schools that I went to here in Talmadge are gone. Um, So there's not much resemblance from from my childhood but yeah the buildings look way different don't they yeah much nicer um <laughs> and but we, we have air that's also true <laughs> the, the annex the annex <laughs> we did a lot of sweating over there yeah for sure um but basically you know i just did sports football basketball baseball um in high school i focused more on basketball and wasn't a great student wasn't a bad student but basically every day was Go to school, go to the gym, go home. And that was about it. <laughs> so when you say go to school and then go to the gym, what, what gym are you talking about? The old Telmage Fitness Center that's the cheer cheer squad building now, I guess, over by the circle. And then, like, in high school, the Telmage Rec Center was built. So, you know, started to go there. But yeah. Telmage Fitness Center, the old ratty building over there, was where all the fun happened. Yeah, I, when you first, when you and I first talked about this, I had almost forgotten about that place, you know, and of course the middle school 
was across yeah. the street from that, and mm -hmm. that's where I started, student taught for Mr. Fox, and I was student teaching and then teaching eighth grade there. And I, too, would then go over to the Talmadge Rec Center, and we would play game, we, you know, shoot yeah. and play racquetball and all of that. And then I just kind of forgot about it till you mentioned it. Mm -hmm. And then it was like, oh, yeah, because, you know, the, the new rec center just, yeah. you forget about a lot of those other places I mean, now. the, the Talmadge Rec Center now, I mean, back then when it first opened, it was the busiest place in town, and now it's more of an older center, but... It's back then. It was it was popping. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So you in high school, what was Dustin like in high school? I, I don't know. You'd have to ask my friends, but <laughs> I I don't think I was as outspoken as I am now. I don't think I'm more you know as comfortable speaking as I am now. Um, I was more reserved. Um, I wouldn't say I was the most popular kid or in that click or anything like that mm -hmm. but you know with the basketball um situation you know that was the athletes were basically my friends okay yeah and so and we're going to talk a little bit about what life was like as a high school basketball player at the time but let me ask you uh in regards to some of your favorite memories of, of being in Talmadge and this could go all the way from you know elementary through I mean what were some of your favorite experiences as a student within Talmadge or even you know some of your not so favorite I mean, it was pretty cool when, you know, I was in eighth grade and Telmage went to the regional finals or regional semifinals and got killed by LeBron. You know, we <laughs> Was that when you were in eighth yeah, grade? Yeah, we drove out to Toledo to, to watch that. But, um, I mean, Telmage, I, I didn't do a lot. You know, like I said, I was more reserved, I was more focused on other aspects. You know, I had things that I wanted to do and... You know, when you're not the most talented person in just about every category, you know, you got to do something else. So, um, yeah, I there was a lot to go on at Telmage, you know, at the same time, you know, that age, you know, family issues, mm -hmm. you know, just releases to get away from places are probably the best memories. Okay. So, and for you, your release was basketball, wasn't for it? For sure. 100%. Yeah. So what, what, tell us a little bit about your journey with basketball. Like, start with middle school for me. So middle school, um, we lost every game, seventh and eighth grade year. We never won a game. Um, we were pretty awful. <laughs> and we normally lost by 40 to 50 every game. You know, our leading scorer would have like six points, and we'd lose 56 to 12 you know, whatever it is, pretty, pretty awful. Now, were you usually the lead uh, scorer? Or was sometimes, 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 sometimes. Um, but again, you know, I wasn't that talented of a player, you know, overall. So sometimes I'd lead the team, but sometimes not. Yeah. You know, in the freshman year, um, you know, Jeff Mannion, who I think is the middle school principal yeah, now. Yeah, school he, principal. He was my coach. He was he, the freshman coach. He was the you. freshman coach. Well, as a matter of fact, he, he shot out a nice message when I posted a picture of you on Twitter. Yeah. He, like, he actually said, you know, he retweeted it. I don't know if you saw uh -huh. it. And he said, one of the nicest young men I have ever coached. Yeah. yeah. So he was, he was my coach. And we had two of my classmates who got called up to JV. So I was on the freshman team. And me and another guy were definitely the two, two best players on that team. And then we went to JV my sophomore year, and I barely played um, because the junior class ahead of me was really good, and a couple players, you know, were down on that team. And then, you know, again, not very talented. Um, and then junior year is when I made varsity, but everybody in my class got cut, which I guess isn't a surprise, seeing that we were pretty awful, <laughs> you know, my entire life. Um, but again, junior class, which was now seniors, was very good. Yeah. So I didn't play much. I played, but not much. Mm -hmm. And then senior year, I started, and I was uh, an all-conference player, and that was about it. So when when I hear that in seventh and eighth grade, I mean, you're talking about some trials. I mean, when you're when you're 12, 13 years old, and you're playing the sport that you love, but you're not experiencing any success. What is it that kind of kept you going and, and continuing to play instead of just saying, you know what, I'm going to find something else that I'd rather do and kind of bailing on it? I think part of it was I didn't know any of it better because I always lost. <laughs> you know, my grade was awful in everything. Every sport, 2000 class of 2007 wasn't good. 
class below us was really good, class above us was really good, and they carried us through high school. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, I just like doing it. You know, I love doing it. So whether win or lose, I didn't care. It was just continue going. Well, let's jump up to your sophomore year because, uh-huh. you know, a lot of times as a 10th grader, you know, if you're not seeing a lot of time at the JV level, um, it gets really frustrating. Yeah. I mean, what helped you persevere through that, that period? Well, obviously I wasn't good enough yet, so I have to keep getting better if I want to make it next year because next year, you know, they're not going to put a junior on JV that's not going to play. So it's either I make the varsity team or I don't. So you got to put in the work to, to make it happen. So that, that kind of self-awareness is, is it's a quality, a great quality to have when you're 16. Yeah. You know, it's not a lot of 16-year-olds have that, you know, where they're able to step back and say, okay, here's where I'm good, here's where I'm not, here's what I need to do to get there. Who kind of talked to you about that or who kind of coached you along with that kind of an awareness? Was there somebody, like a mentor in your life or? Um. I, I mean, my parents always had confidence in me, and they always pushed me to, to be better. But, I mean, I just, I don't know, it's just something that was always in my head. Like, you know, I'd watch, you know, TV and, you know, the dream of playing, you know, for Duke or North Carolina or any of those schools, you know, you just have that mentality. And it's like, and you know, like, well, they had to get good somehow, you know. So maybe if I put in more work than them, maybe I'll get there. And, you know, looking back, obviously that – tall of a goal is unrealistic but what I was trying to get at you know it was it was doable yeah that's awesome so so then you bump into your junior year and Mm -hmm. you're the only junior to make it and you get to play a little bit yeah and then your senior year you end up starting and you're all conference Uh Um, what did you do between your junior and your senior year to improve that much just kept grinding kept grinding yeah I mean I as we mentioned the other night when I talked to your team, you know, I had a, the one thing that I was extremely, extremely good at, probably better than I could say anybody, is I could take a charge. <laughs> um, I was able to read, you know, the offensive, you know, what they were trying to do, and I was able to get to the spot, and I didn't give a, you know, crap if I got hit or not. <laughs> You know, I played football for eight years, yeah. so I could take a hit, and that was something that I was really good at. When you're small, you know, I know I'm a large human to a lot of people, but in the basketball world, you know, for the position that I played, I was very undersized. You know, six foot four, six foot five, going against six eight, six nine, six ten, seven foot. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I was small. I had to figure out a way to guard them, yeah. And that was what I was really good at. You know, I. I remember it's really funny because the student section, you know, that we had on the old high school, like on the stage, yeah. they had a, um, a long, tall tee. I don't even know if those are still around nowadays, but they had a, a it said Dustin's Charges on it. <laughs> and every time I got one, they'd put a tally on the board, you know, for whatever. And I had to have 20, 23 games. I had to have 50, 60 at least. It yeah. was it was uh, it was my specialty. And so what's funny is I see our two uh, basketball players right here. As soon as you said fifty or sixty charges in a season, yeah, they both look at each other like that can't possibly be true. Which shows kind of the rest of the audience here and listening to find someone with that kind of a gritty mentality who's willing to kind of sacrifice everything for the sake of the team. It's kind of an uncommon trait. We're lucky, and these young men can, you know, I think maybe we had five charges in the season in which I coached them. Um, five in a season is a, is a big number. And yet, your I, senior I'd, I'd night. Have, I'd have that in one game, yeah, <laughs> easy. Well, tell us about your senior night. Senior night against Barberton, I had eight charges in one game. I fouled out their three best players, and that was it. I remember the Miller twins and then another kid who went D1. I think Adam Moore went to Army. Um, I fouled all three of them out, and that was it. You know, I had that game's on video somewhere, yeah. and the crowd is furious because they were they were dumb and they just kept coming. Yeah, and I just kept taking it. <laughs> so that's so awesome. I mean, hustle plays like that have the ability to just <clears throat> change the whole momentum 
momentum of the game. And if you throw eight of them into one game, that's yeah. deflating for the other team for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's unbelievable. Uh, I love so much this story because, you know, as, as we listen to these things that are part of the game that you're doing, uh, like taking charges and then outworking everybody, uh, putting the time in, although they're kind of sports specific right now, they're kind of universal principles for anything in life that you're passionate about, right? Yeah. You got to do the hard things. You've got to have a gritty mentality. You've got to be willing to make sacrifices and you have to certainly be resilient and endure the ups and downs of a season or the ups and downs and disappointments of life yeah. in order to kind of pursue what it is that you want you want to do. And I love your the part of your story where you make this decision to be a college basketball player. So let's yeah. let's enter into quarter two, shall we? And why don't yep. you tell us about, I mean, what made you want to play college basketball? I, I mean, I always did. I mean, that was always a goal, you know. Um, I loved playing. I mean, it's, you know, when you have a passion, it's when you have something that you want to do, whether you're an artist or drawler, writer, whatever you are. I mean, if you like doing it, you like doing it, you know, and that's the, the next step, you know, to do it. You know, the problem is, is, you know, I didn't play my first three years of high school pretty much at the varsity level. So who the, who the heck knows who I am, yeah? So the summer before my senior year, so give or take May, June-ish, I wrote a handwritten letter to every college basketball team in the nation and said, hey, I'm going to be at this showcase that I paid 500 bucks for in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania on these dates. If you're going to be there, you know, come check me out. I'm 6'5", I'm 200 pounds, you know, and that, you know, 6'5", at least gets some people's attention. I left out the fact that I was a center because if I would have said center, <laughs> yeah. then they would be like, oh, <laughs> no, thank you. Yeah. Um, so, smart. smart. <laughs> so I, you know, got insane responses, you know, just the mere fact of somebody writing a letter to them, you know, I'm not sure many people did that. So I got a lot of responses. The mailman thought I was the next LeBron James because I was getting all these letters from all these colleges day after day after day. Um, but, you know, I met with, you know, some of them in Pittsburgh at that showcase. And the one who was showing the most interest was the College of Mount St. Joseph, which was in Cincinnati, Ohio, Division Three school. And I took a visit down there. I took a visit to a few other places. But, you know, I'm, as you can tell by me living in Los Angeles, I'm more of a big city type of person so I chose the biggest city of the bunch and that was Cincinnati so (laughs) I went down there and and I I'm excited to share the rest of that with with uh, our audience but I gotta go back to something you said you wrote a letter to every college so let me ask division one two and three and NAIA and NAIA yeah so uh, not JUCO, not two-year schools, yeah. but every four-year school, yeah. Every four-year school. Yeah. In the so I have a, a student right now who has a spreadsheet of every school that she has reached out to uh, over the past six months. And right now, and she just, she just told me a couple days ago that she's hardly even tapped the surface of it, but she's at like 350 schools that she's reached out to for school, or uh-huh. just for you know, academic reasons. So, I mean, and she's like, Mr. Horner, there are thousands and thousands. And you took the time to handwrite a letter to each of those programs. Yeah. It wow. was a men's, for men's basketball, it was about 2,000 schools. About 2,000 schools. Yeah. Did you, uh, did you get any interesting responses back? I mean. Yeah, I mean, uh, I sent it to every school. I didn't hold back. And, you know, the sky's the limit. And uh, Roy Williams, if you know who that is, um, he was a coach in North Carolina. He actually wrote a handwritten letter back that said we are completely full on our recruiting because we recruit two years ahead of time but I appreciate you reaching out to us and I hope you you know make it somewhere I mean for me being some nobody from a small town in Ohio getting a handwritten letter from a Hall of Fame coach I was kind of like that's that's pretty freaking cool yeah you got that yeah frame and put it on the wall you know it's interesting that he would say that because a lot of people don't realize in the world of sports like take basketball for instance sophomore year and then the 
off season between your sophomore and junior year. That's the prime recruiting yeah. period for college coaches, mm-hmm. and they're checking out all the AAU tournaments and all that stuff. And so for you to make this decision after your senior year, you suddenly decreased the odds, I mean, drastically that yeah. you would ever even be given an opportunity, and yet you persisted. Yeah. I mean, Division three, you know, they don't give scholarships. So their recruiting is pretty much open until season starts because they don't have to give out scholarships to people. Mm-hmm. You know, you pay to go there. You basically pay to play. You know, so if you want to play on a Division three school, if you're good enough, you can make it, um, you know, really at any time. And that's, you know, where I ended up. So I kind of put myself behind the eight ball, but you know, I made it somewhere. Yeah, so when you say behind the eight ball, are you talking about the, the debt that you then uh, incur as a result? No, or just... I, was, I would say more like the, the desires of going D2 or, okay. Oh, okay, I got you, you know, yeah. D1, something like that. I mean, yeah, don't get me wrong. Behind the eight ball because of when you started the whole oh, process. Oh, yeah, don't get me wrong. Yeah. The college debt, it was real too. Yeah. You know, small liberal arts colleges are, you know, 30,000, 40,000 a year. Yeah. You know, and when you don't have um, financial aid, you know, because your parents do all right, yeah, you know that's money you got to pay. Yeah, so you were in Cincinnati for how long? One year. One year, and then I, what happened? Uh, <clears throat> I did not like Division three basketball, and I wanted if I'm going to put in that much work, then I want to get paid for it, and by paid, you know, tuition, you know, something. So I transferred to Rio Hondo Community College in Los Angeles, California. Um, I went there because one of my best friends from here, Talmadge, Nate Kreiss, I don't know if you remember Nate, he was going to school in Pepperdine, um, which is out in Malibu. And, you know, big city personality for me, you know, LA was good and two-year schools out there were very popular. Um, you can't go Division three to D2 or D1 because when you transfer up, you have to sit out a year. Okay. And you lose a year of eligibility. All right. But if you transfer to a two-year school, you can play immediately. And then when you transfer from a two-year school to a D2 or D1, you don't have to sit out a year because that's a natural transition. Because technically, two-year schools are, for people like me or people who academically couldn't get into a bigger school. And they have to go get their grades up and then move on. Gotcha. So year two was Rio Hondo Community College. Um, not, uh, I was definitely the minority, you know, out there, you know, for that school. And now is that the, uh, is that the school that would be technically your sophomore year? Correct. Yeah. And you averaged how many minutes and how many charges that year? So that year, um, coach Steve Bear, who was probably the greatest coach that I played for, um, he helped me the most in terms of motivation, fixing my shot. You know, he really gave me the confidence that, you know, I, I needed. Um, we had four guys who were giants who all either got injured or failed out of school. And he looked at me and was like, well, you're the center now. And I was going against 6'10", 6'11", every single game. Um, and I played 37 minutes a game out of 40. I could sub myself in and out whenever I pleased because there was nobody else of size on our team. Um, and I averaged 11 points, like nine rebounds. I was all conference. But as I told your team, I took 82 charges that year <laughs> in 30 games. And you lived <laughs> through it. <laughs> barely, barely. I, uh, I will admit that towards the end of the year, you know, I had a the, the trainer, the athletic trainer, made me a hip pad that I had to wear because my hip, I had an extreme bone bruise on oh, my hip. I can only imagine. Um, I had a torn labrum in my shoulder that happened here at Telmage. Um, I got a concussion in a car crash that during the season and played through that. Wow. And I remember my dad and my mom came out to a few games and like in warm-ups, I could barely walk, but uh, I had some prescription meds that the doctors gave me, and by game time, I didn't feel they that pain anymore. In. They diminished the pain for, <laughs> yeah. for, 48, for 40 minutes, 40 right? minutes, yeah, and, 40 and minutes. 12 charges. And yeah. You were back in the ice bath. Yeah, it was. 
Well, so you spent one year there, there, yep. and then where did basketball take you after that? Uh, Hawaii. Hawaii. Uh, oh, terrible. Slumming it, right? Terrible. Wow. Yeah. I went to Hawaii Pacific University um, for three years, and it was a Division two school, so I got to where I wanted to get to, um, in probably the best location that you can probably get to. Yeah. Um, my, well, what was what was your day like when you were in Hawaii? Uh, weights in the morning, class after weights, practice after class, then the beach. <laughs> And then, you know, I took a lot of night classes because we didn't have anything to do. Our school didn't have a gym, so we used somebody else's gym. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. Um, which was great because our games were played in like an 8,000-seat arena that the, all the concerts were played in. But we couldn't practice there. We could only play games there. Hmm. So we had to practice at the time the gyms were open. So in the evening, we were always free. And if I didn't want to go to class after weights and before practice, then I could have a night class and just do it that way. Okay. Um, but my student housing was literally on the beach. When we had tsunami warnings, we had to evacuate, you know, our hotels or our student housing because we were too close to the water. Wow. Um, it was a it was a great place to go to college. Yeah, I I can only imagine. And you know, what's funny is. Um, well, I'll get to that. There's a story I want to tell you, but I'm going to save it for a little bit later. But tell me about the relationships that you built in Hawaii, because what I'd like to tell our audience a little bit about, or you have you talk about, is how they, your experience there, your resili- resiliency in getting there, and then these relationships, how, how life kind of changed for you. They're everything. Yeah. I mean, really, um, those, are, those are my family. You know, in terms when you don't live at home, when you're the only one who lives in a particular place, you know, and in that particular scenario, you live in on an island six hours out into the middle of the ocean. You know, those are your family. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, my first year there, Kavika and Cam were, you know, my two best friends. You know, we did everything together. Kavika is now my business partner in all the work that we do. Um, at times, he you know, helps with just about everything. Hmm. Um, and Cam, uh, Cam died. Um, he passed hmm. away after the basketball season uh, from a skateboarding accident. This, um, this year? No. Or, or during, your, when you were when in college? We were, when we were there. Wow. And, um, you know, I think the relationships that I had there were deepened because we all had this loss for, you know, 21-year-old kid who had everything in front of him, hmm. you know, teammate, everything. And he was Kavika's roommate. Um, so those were those were tough. But, like, Alan is probably, you know, my best friend now. He's a Russian that come to play at Hawaii. Um, we went through a lot together. He works with me. We just lived in Armenia for seven months together. Um, I mean, there's a lot of people, you know, like Mike, um, Michael Pierce, and his family had a big resounding effect on me, you know, because he's from L. He's from L. A. or Orange County, and you know, after I graduated, they housed me in L. A. for a year, for no rent, paid all my food, you know, cooked dinner for me every night, and I lived in their guest bedroom as I started the company, mm-hmm. you know, that we had, you know, and all these people, you know. Casey and all of them, they, they are who I am today. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't talk to many people from Telmage anymore. It's been 15 years since I graduated, but those people every day, you know, every time I get a chance, you wow. know, they're the ones that I meet with. Wow. I, I love that. I mean, because that's the power of a team, right? Mm-hmm. And it's the power of putting yourself out there, you know, on and off the court, in these relationships and then just building relationships that do last a lifetime and carry you through you know the difficulties of life um so you met these in these these young men and you became very close friends and you mentioned kavita is your Mm -hmm. business partner uh the sport of basketball changes a little bit for you after college doesn't it Mm -hmm. i mean what tell us a little bit about you know we're entering into quarter three now you know, tell us a little bit about who Dustin and his colleague Kavita and, and what is it you're doing now because of the sport of basketball? Yeah, well, when I graduated, I was a year ahead of Kavika and Jelani White. 
Um, Kavika, I'm sorry, I kept saying yeah, Kavika. Kavika. Um, we, they were juniors, I was a senior. And when I finished, I went to Charlotte, North Carolina, flew from Hawaii to North Carolina to do this overseas basketball tryout to be a player. And when I was there, it wasn't all that it was hyped up to be kind of a low key scam, you know, but I kind of, you know, my dad came and he let me know like, hey, you know, this guy, he didn't do very good, but he walked out of here with, you know, 20 grand, you know, from entry fees, you know, for the weekend, because he brought in like 100, 110 players. Hmm. Um, and he's like, you can do better than that. And, you know, me, I've always wanted to be a sports agent, you know, when I majored in marketing and management in Hawaii and sports management when I was in Cincinnati, I always wanted to be an agent, you know, and I was like, well, all right, well, it doesn't look like I'm going to be a player because I just got scammed. <laughs> and, you know, I wasn't, you know, overly talented, you know, to begin with. It was more of a, a, a hoop dream type of deal. Hmm. So me and Kavika and Jelani, you know, on our school website at HPU, you know, they said, hey, where do you see yourself in 10 years as a question? And all three of us said on our thing that we wanted to be sports agents okay. or something in that guard. And we made a joke and it's not very appropriate joke but it's a joke because his Jelani White you know Dustin Simcox and Kavika Lions we named the company White Cox and Lions and we thought it was we thought it was funny when we were 20 21 22 years old um and we didn't actually think we were going to name it that but then we did (laughs) um Times have changed since then, so now it's WCL Sports Management. Okay. We, I'm honored that we get the behind. Yeah, the, the, yeah. We get the, scene, the behind the scenes story. Here. Yeah, it's fun. Um, that's why it's WCL now. Um, but we basically said, like, okay, Dustin, if you can get this started, you know, we're still in school for another year. If you can get it started, then we'll do it. And so I spent the entire year at my friend's parents' house in LA building the groundwork for it and that included you know me and my dad going to uh europe for three weeks on a road trip we did france luxembourg belgium uh the netherlands germany switzerland italy and we drove around europe for three weeks going to game after game after game in all these different countries meeting with coaches meeting with personnel and you know the common theme that we had for each one was you need to have a you need to have a partner a partner agent out here who can help communicate with teams because you know it's a 9 hour time difference from LA to Europe you know when they're up you're asleep and when you're up they're asleep type of deal so i messaged all the agents in those countries and only one responded and it was an agent in Bonn Germany and me and my dad drove to Bonn um, met with the agent agent gave us a lot of good information and uh, said you can come out and work you know with me for a month this summer if you want um, to learn the business per se so I went to Germany for a month and I was poor as you know dirt so I stayed in a $10 a night hostel where my room was literally a tent on top of a Volkswagen car, huh. where you put your suitcase in the car and then you climb a ladder up the back of the car into a tent and then you zip down the tent and you lock it. And that was the room. And I stayed there for a month, um, 10 bucks a day. And I learned a lot from, from that agent. And then I came back to the US and you know, for the very few people that we had, you know, we tried to give them deals and, and build, you know, what we were doing. And then Kavika and Jelani joined us and then, or joined me, and then, you know, the rest just started to develop. Um, you know, and we had our ups and downs. Mm-hmm. You know, Jelani is now, he's he moved on to be a personal trainer and he trains NBA players, you know. Okay. So he's doing really well there. You know, Kavika got into, you know, also how, like housing de- development and apartments and whatnot. Okay. And he does stuff with me, you know, not as full as what it is. And I'm the full-time nonstop person. Okay. 
And so you had mentioned uh, at the very beginning that you actually spent seven months. You just returned yeah. from being in Armenia. Yeah. What was that? I mean, what were you doing over there? I created the Caucasus Basketball League. So over in that region, which is Russia, Georgia, um, Armenia, it's the Caucasus Mountains. And we did a um, tour in 2020 during COVID to Armenia because it was the only country that was open. And their basketball was very rough, per se. You know, corrupt, a lot of different things going on that weren't necessarily good. And kind of like how I took the agent, you know, experience and turned that into my own agent experience, the crooked league that I was dealing with, the people who were legit and fair and understanding, you know, I talked to them and be like, hey, I have all these players in America who are looking for jobs overseas. You're actually the people that I trust. You know, what if we started this new league, you know, and kind of ditch the old people behind and that's what we did so huh. we had the caucuses basketball league with teams from georgia and uh in armenia so two questions <clears throat> i have about this this new league first if you are now in competition with the old league uh -huh. and it was as corrupt as you're talking about i mean how much resistance did you get an extreme started? amount of resistance and so, I mean, yeah. anything that you were like extremely fearful of, or no, no, just I mean, I don't really care. Yeah. I mean, like, if you have a problem with me, come say it. <laughs> you know, it's I'm not, you know, blunt. You know, I'm not holding yeah. my, holding back my feelings. Like I told you, you're corrupt, and I ain't doing it. So I'm doing this. And if you got a problem with it, come see me. And I was there for seven months, and they never came and really? saw me. So. And you pulled off the whole season. I mean, oh, yeah. I saw on Facebook there were pictures of the ending ceremony mm -hmm. and, uh, yep. and the championship yep. and all of that. Yep. And how many total players do you have in this league? Um, well, Americans, I had 49 Americans, 49 Americans. playing in the league. So, and, okay. yeah. So that's why I was there. Yeah. You know, typically, you know, an agent doesn't stay with players over there. But when you help create the league and you have so many people there, you know, I was trying to oversee everything, all the management, all of the player problems. You know, when you're living in a foreign country and, you know, not, it's not London, it's not Paris, it's, not Barcelona, it's Yerevan, Armenia, it's, you know, a little different, and mm. the culture changes, you know, a lot for some people. So what is it like for an American who is over there, and they are a professional basketball player? What's life like for them? In Europe or Armenia in general, or Europe in general? Europe in general. Uh, it depends on where you play um, and what level you play at, because there's multiple leagues, you know, like Germany, for example, there's BBL, Pro A, Pro B, Regionalga 1, Regionalga 2, and Oberliga. There's six different professional leagues. And, you know, when you're playing in the BBL, which is the top league, it's like their NBA. It's where Dirk Nowitzki came from and all those type of people. You're really freaking good. Mm -hmm. You know, Pro A, you're only allowed to have, you know, so many Americans. Pro B, you're only allowed to have so many Americans. Regionalga down, you're only allowed to have one. You know, so if you're on the highest level, you're playing basically with all American players because mm. Americans are the best in general, you know, across the board. But when you're at a lower level and you're the only American or there's two of you, I mean, your day basically consists of waking up, you know, you have a sponsor, you know, restaurant or a place to go to to get food. You go to practice, sometimes two practices a day. And then the rest of the time, you're free to do whatever you do. You know, some people get, some people do online courses, some people do nothing. They watch Netflix all day. <laughs> you know, it, it just kind of depends on how you, you know, manage your time. You know, successful players, in my opinion, use all that extra time to, you know, lift or run or get better, mm -hmm. practice more, because you don't have school, you don't have a job, you don't have other things holding you back. Mm -hmm. Where if you just sit on in your bed and watch Netflix all day, I mean, you're not getting any better than what the bare minimum. Sure. Sure. So you're heavily involved in, you know, placing American players in Europe. Um, do you have ambitions of branching out outside of Europe, maybe, you know, into like the NBA or WNBA or anything like that? Or Honestly, not really. I did. That used to be one of the dreams. Um, 
you know, when I was, God, I don't know, this was back in 2016, I think, 2017, you know, a, a player by David Nawaba, he, uh, he played with me out in Hawaii. He was a freshman when I was a senior, transferred, went D1, you know, and I helped him get, you know, some G League tryouts, and then he made the G League team for the Lakers. And then halfway through the year, he got called up to the Lakers. And, you know, with that, you know, seeing that type of, how would you say it? You really got to know your stuff yeah. type of deal. And I'm cool with that. But at the same time, with him being a friend, I didn't want any part of the really detailed stuff, mm -hmm. you know, because I didn't want to screw up his co career. Sure. Per se. Sure, yeah. And, you know, he went on to play. Well, he's still playing, but he went for Chicago. He was with the Cavs for a year. Then he went to Brooklyn, and now he's in Houston making $15 million over three years. Mm. Um, but with the NBA, it takes so much effort from day-to-day -day activities to do anything else. You have no life per se outside of that which mm -hmm. is fine if that's what you want to do but me I like traveling and I like having a life yeah you know where the international side of things is you know from October to January is pretty calm you know in April May June July August everything happens in those five or six months yeah and if you really grind during those times you can go do other things wow. you know in that time and you know, I've traveled to 42 different countries in the last seven years just because I can go watch a game or I can just go for whatever. Yeah. And I, I like that, yeah. you know. You know, I found the niche of the basketball career that I don't have to have the day-to-day -day operations of, did you eat well today? What type of, you know, supplements <laughs> yeah. did you take? Yeah. Are you, you're not screwing up there? Okay, good. You know, you have training at a one. Don't be late. You know, blah, 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 blah. All that micromanaging stuff. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, I don't have to do that with my guys, yeah. which is, in my opinion, allows me to do what I love, but also do what I love outside of that. If that makes sense. That makes perfect sense. I love it. Yeah. I love it. And, and you know, the, the decision-making process, I, I love the balance because people are intrigued by what the NBA or the NFL or the MLB has to offer. But you're right. I mean, oh, it it's is, insane. It is. It's insane. And, and it occupies your time. I love, I love your balance. Hey, let's enter into quarter number four here. And let me ask you this. Where's Dustin going to be 10 years from now? I mean, what, what's your goal? What's your dream? You know, from where you're at now, I mean, where do you want to take this adventure of yours? It's a good question. Um, you know, I'm, I, not to sound like too cocky, but like when I was a director of Eurobasket, that's one of the highest levels that you can get, you know, in my industry, you know, and they, and I got that in 2016. Um, you know, I want to make this the best that it can be, you know, instead of dealing with, you know, 600, 700, 800 players a year, you know, trying to get jobs overseas, let's make that 1,200, 1,300, 1,400, mm -hmm. you know, be able to hire more people to, to help in that aspect. Um, but, I mean, the, the owning the league or being part of the league ownership, that was pretty cool. Um, maybe that's something that we could look into in other countries. Um, but I just... I want to do well enough where I can be comfortable living, but I can also go around the world. I mean, that's my personal goal. I want to visit every country. Like, that's something that I've set out to do. Yeah. You know, now that I'm at 42, you know, kind of one-fifth of the way there. Yeah. And I've done it in seven years. So <laughs> if I can survive another 35 years, maybe I can get there. So when you reflect back on your time in high school to where you're at now, what would you say would be the greatest lesson that you've learned? And another way of kind of looking at this, you know, let's imagine you were sitting right here in, in the, the crowd and mm -hmm. somebody else was here. I mean, what advice would you give to a 16, 17, or 18-year-old Dustin? Don't be afraid to fail. I mean... Everybody, everybody loses at times. Everybody fails at things. If you're not failing, then your goals aren't high enough. Hmm. You know, like when we started the company, 
you know, we were 22, 23-year-old kids that had no idea how to do anything, you know, and we all said, like, if we make it, we make it. We'll never have to work for anybody again. And if we don't, then we tried, you know, because I actually took an interview with Wasserman Media Group one time, and I was told to be an agent there, which is, if anybody knows Wasserman, it's the biggest entertainment, athletes, movies, everything, agency. And they said, you'll at least be an intern or a small level manager for five years before you can ever touch a client. Hmm. And it was like, do I want to be a coffee boy for five years or do I want to go try to do this myself and make it? If I have to go be a coffee boy, I'll go be a coffee boy. But if I can do it myself, do it myself. You know, same thing, you know, when I was in high school, you know, I wanted to play in college somewhere, anywhere. Yeah. I didn't care. Yeah. Well, figure out a way to do it. If you don't, you don't. You know, life's not over. Mm -hmm. But if you aren't afraid to fail, then what what are you doing? You know, what's what's the purpose of trying to do something if you're not going to go for what you want? Yeah. Every failure is a lesson, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I failed every single game I ever played in seventh and eighth grade, you know? <laughs> it's losing, losing is okay, yeah. you know? And if you're okay with losing, if you're okay with failing, if you're, you know, like when COVID hit, you know, my industry is sports, physical activity. You can't get around being around people, you know, in my industry. And it, you know, I watched, you know, the NBA shut down. I watched the NCAA shut down. I watched the world shut down. And when that shut down, I, you know, my business shut down, you know, and we still haven't recovered because COVID's still not 100% gone, you know, but you just gotta keep finding a way. And, you know, part of the, you know, process during COVID was find places that really don't care. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's, you know, sad to say, but mm -hmm. you know, like Armenia, we never had, never in my dreams that I think that I would ever go live in Armenia for seven months or do all this business that I'm doing over there. But I did it because our main countries of Spain and Portugal and France and England and all those places, they shut down, you mm -hmm. know, no, nobody was allowed to come in. And well, if you can't go there, where can you go? And there was a small list of countries that had their borders open and Armenia was one of them. And my friend Alan, who, you know, the Russian who came to Hawaii, he's his dad is half Armenian and he knew people in Armenia. Okay. And that's how that happened. I mean, Connections. Yeah, you just find and adapt. And, you know, like Texas was good for us because Texas is always open. You know, Georgia, <laughs> you know, was open. You know, we do a lot of stuff in Chicago and New York, but we had to move out of Chicago and New York because those were two one of the most strict, you know, parts of the yeah. country with COVID. Sure. You know, so we lost months. We lost 50, 60% of what we do just because of the pandemic. Wow. And you can shut down and you can, you know, do whatever, but wow. we just kept fighting. Yeah, you know, we just finished a movie in one of my classes uh, earlier today, Unbroken, the story of Louis Zampernini, and his quote in there uh, that his brother shared with him was, if you can take it, you can make it, yeah. you know, and it sounds to me like that's kind of been the motto of what you're, you've been dealing with. You've experienced failure, but you know what, if you can take the failure, then you can make it. If you can take the rejection in high school of not being the star, not making the team, if you can take it, then you can make it and improve upon that. And if you can take the charge, yeah. right, if you can take it, you can make it, 82 of them. But that catapults you to this marketability where you're able to go to a Division II college where you then, you know, had to take more. And yeah. you kept taking it and you kept making it. And you established these relationships, these friendships that then turn into opportunities uh, where you can take what it is that you're passionate about and turn it into your lifelong dream. Yeah. 
one in which you've been incredibly successful with and now you're living in LA and you're flying all over the world and you're visiting 42 plus countries and you're starting a league and you're managing all of these hundreds of players and providing opportunities for them, yeah. uh, which is something spectacular. So I went around the room, uh, excuse me, the building uh, to some of your former teachers uh -oh. uh, and I asked them a little bit about Dustin Simcox, the student. And you know, when I had you in class, you know, I loved having you. You were um, a lot like me when I was in high school. Uh, we weren't super studious. We didn't take our, our uh, but we had a lot of fun. And you always brought joy and energy to the, I mean, you did what you were supposed to do, but you, you tried to distract me with basketball talk and all kinds of stuff all, all the time. But we had fun and we, and yep. we had a lot of laughter. Uh, so I, I thought I was just trying to dig up some dirt, but listen to what some of your former teachers said to you. So. Um, first of all, House. As soon as I mentioned your name to Mr. Householder, he goes, man, that kid, the nicest kid, he's a good kid, and he is a hard worker. That's the first thing he said. Um, then I talked to Shro, and he, uh, he, or actually this is House. House said this too. He goes, you know, and you know what else I remember? His freshman year, he could barely run down the gym floor without tripping. And by his senior year, you couldn't drag him off the off the court, yeah. which I thought was uh, was funny. But um, I talked to Shro, and then I talked to Coach Carnith. And actually, I'm going to share with you what um, what Carnith said. He goes, "He's never. I've never coached an individual who improved more from their freshman to their senior year. Dustin is a team leader, and he led by example." And then he said this, he goes, Dustin's number one goal was to do whatever it took to make sure the team won, which I thought was an incredible compliment. And he didn't hesitate. I want you to know that a lot of times, if I ask somebody about somebody they hadn't seen in a while, they got to hesitate and they got to think. And as soon as I mentioned your name, that's, that's what he, I could barely keep up with him while I was typing it up, uh, that he did everything he possibly could for the team to win. It's that resiliency and that hard work that we remember you by, you know, when you were in high school. And it's that same resiliency and hard work that has gotten you from there to where you're at today. Mm -hmm. So thank you for sharing your story. I appreciate it. So I appreciate you being here. Now, what's next? You're heading off to L.A. here soon? Yeah, I go to L.A. for a month and then uh, I go on my recruiting trip, which is six, seven weeks, you know, here in the U.S. And then to Portugal and then to Armenia for hopefully not as long as seven months, but maybe a week or two. And then by that time it will be October, which will be the off season. So then I get to go on vacation for a few months. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> sounds, sounds awesome. Yeah. Dustin, I want to thank you so very much. And those of you that have tuned in, thank you for listening to another episode. Please do me a favor. Uh, please share this episode out. I mean, Dustin is just one of so many incredible alumni that we have that have graduated from Talmadge High School, and I'm just excited to share his story and their story. So please share, please rate and review the podcast. Make sure you subscribe and catch us next time. I have another very special guest coming up very soon. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed our interview today. Be sure to subscribe on whatever podcasting platform you are listening on. And also feel free to follow me on Instagram at, at Mr. Horner the Teacher or on Twitter at THS Mr. Underscore Horner for podcast updates, blog updates, and more information about our guests. If you liked what you heard, I would appreciate if you give us a review and share the episode. Help me get the message out about how incredible our community is and how awesome our teachers are. If you haven't, Make sure you go back and listen to past interviews. There are a lot of amazing people that we've had the privilege of interviewing. Until next time, go Blue Devils.